we have a very open mind and sort of growth mindset attitude about how we try to push an industry forward. I think the amazing thing about home care and I think the senior care space is that people in the space, even though they've been doing things like a certain way for a really long time, they all love the space. They all love helping people. They know it's hard. They know it's challenging, but like they're all their hearts in the right places. And that's like such a big advantage for us. Like I'm not trying to win their hearts because their hearts are one. Like we all have the same mission. We want to help a lot of people. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. Senior care has been in need of a major transformation for decades. While the pandemic had tragic consequences for millions of people, it also served to highlight many of the industry's long-standing problems and systemic issues, including some like preconceived notions that seniors in tech don't mix. Like many, I've got aging parents to consider, so today's episode is very close to my heart. I'm thrilled to welcome co-founder of Honor, Sandy Jen. Honor is the world's largest senior care network and technology platform. By championing aging in place and prioritizing quality of life, Honor's been changing the game for seniors and their loved ones since 2014. And in this episode, Sandy and I discuss current disruptions to senior care, their mission, and how technologies like AI are revolutionizing the way we care for our seniors. Well, Sandy, thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. This is one of the topics that everybody has the opportunity to think about over the course of their life. You know, senior care is one of the great potential areas for disruption. We're living longer. We're more mobile. We have way more technology to help. And our kids um, are even more digitally uh, invested than we are. What is the current state of senior care and, um, and where does honor fit into it? Where we're coming from is there's a general stigma, I guess, of seniors and technology. So it's, there's this misconception, I think, that seniors and tech don't mix, which is why I think traditionally there's been little investment and innovation and interest in trying to push things into the senior space. And they're sort of a traditionally difficult demographic to reach. I think what's been interesting is when Honor started, we really wanted to tackle a very big existing problem. And the, the, the sort of problem of how do you help someone age at home was very, very interesting to us. And so we started to make inroads. And I think with the pandemic, what ended up happening was that the world opened its eyes to what we were already noticing, which is that we have this really, really large population of people who need a lot of help and they're really vulnerable and they're a lot more vulnerable than we thought. I'm actually really hopeful now and optimistic about where we are just because I think people are, oh, realizing that there's a lot of opportunity there's a lot of uh, misconceptions and things that we didn't realize were possible, which are now possible in the senior space. And, and it's a fascinating time. I mean, if you would ask me two years ago, I wouldn't have given it a second thought. But, you know, very recently, I just moved my mom into her own place. Uh, I gave her an Apple Watch. I turned on Alexa together. You know, she's, she's still very capable of doing her own thing, but that won't be like that forever. So how, how did the pandemic impact that generation's willingness to invest in things like wearables and technology and like uh, ways to be more connected, but also ways to expose themselves to be better cared for? Yeah, I think probably two factors. I think there was a, a realization on the sort of tech industry side that if you build technology purely for older adults, um, it's going to fail. <laughs> like, you know, senior, like grandmothers and moms and dads, they don't want stuff that's either, quote, dumbed down or specifically targeted for an older audience. Um, I think there was a realization that if you make really great usable tech, 
lots of people can use it. So I think the Apple Watch is an amazing example. The second thing, part of that is with the pandemic, I think there was a realization that, wow, we all need to adapt because there are things that are just going to be out of our control. And one of the biggest things that you'll find that kind of plagues the the industry with, with aging adults and sort of the older adult mindset is that there's this really big fear of lack of control. It's like you're losing, you know, mental cognition, you're losing your ability to live independently. And so anything and any technique that can give you a more a sense of control, um, give you kind of that ability to take back some of that loss um, is really powerful. So if you combine those two things, I think there's just a bigger appetite to try new things, which I think is an amazing, amazing side effect. Which is terrifying if you're that company that sells the nine button phones, you know, late <laughs> night TV for people. But um, so, yeah, the, the controls thing is a really interesting thing. And I, I think that the idea of, of wanting to age in place is that you want to maintain that control. And you grew up in a world where you could handle it. You didn't need a whole lot of help. Are you finding that 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 um, people are becoming more interested in that concept before they get to the point where they have to deal with it. And so they're making preparations. I mean, I think about all the the apps that people are doing in order to try to improve their brain health and, you know, uh, where general wearables technology and the interface with Apple Health and doctors and things like that. Is it is it a, a more progressive approach or is it the next generation kind of at that moment of care jumping in and saying, here's how we're going to do it? Yeah, I think it's both. Um, I think I wish there were more of the sort of, hey, I'm going to look a little bit ahead and see if I can prepare. I think it's still a really tough subject, right? So, you know, folks sit down for Thanksgiving. It's not like the topic of conversation is, hey, mom, when you're 82 and you fall, like, what do you want to do with your life? People don't want to talk about it. It's a really hard subject. Um, I think what is really interesting, though, is that, again, there's that access to information and people can find out more for themselves what their options are, right? So it's not like I'm being forced down this path. But if I read a little bit in my spare time, if I, you know, before bed, I'm like, you know, I have access to the internet. I'm looking at my iPad and my iPad and I'm looking at other options or how my, my, my peers are, are navigating this time. It gives me more of a, a sense of control over at least I have an idea of what I'm expecting, um, which I think is really powerful. But yeah, the control thing is, um, it's a really big thing. And I think with, with the tech and I think with, you know, folks like us aging into, into that into that demographic, we we just have a a more maybe okay appreciation for um, understanding that if I use this tech, I'm not losing control. I'm actually in more in control. It's a different mindset. Yeah, it's a more it's a more empowering sort of approach. So so what is the current state of the market today? I mean, it, it isn't a case where we just you know put somebody in in a you know progressive care type of facility. There's all sorts of things that happen up to that point. So how how does it actually look today, and and where do you guys fit into it? The area that Honor really, really focuses on is non-medical home care. And so we um, very much focus on the, the, the time of that, that sort of aging process where um, someone might be at home. Um, they need a little bit of help with what we call ADLs. So activities of daily living. So things like brushing your teeth, going to the bathroom, going to bed, things that you and I might take for granted. But if you can't do one or two of those things, it becomes a lot more difficult to stay at home independently. And then we send a qualified person into that person's home to help them with those things to create a more stable, long-term, safe environment so that someone could stay at home longer. The current state of the industry, I would say, is that prior to the pandemic, home care is definitely a huge thing. I think it's more of a thing now because the home is even safer than it was before. No one wants to go to group situation anymore. The issue, I think, is that more and more people, the boomers, are aging into this space, that we are, you know, don't have enough sort of qualified caregivers to provide that care. 
it's expensive. And I think with the urbanization and sort of, um, you know, more expensive housing, it's just a lot harder to move mom or dad over to your house. And so how do you keep mom and dad at their house is kind of the big thing. And is the, is the challenge when you talk about the qualified people, is the challenge finding the people that are willing to do it or keeping them? I would imagine that the turnover in that business has got to be quite spectacular. Or is it a combination of all those things? It is a combination. I would say that it's a tough job where one of the things that we're really trying to do at Honor is to create a career out of it. And so sort of fundamentals that a lot of different other industries have, like you know, you get rewarded for um, performance and tenure and um, there's stability and things like that. We're trying to introduce more of that into the workforce as well to create that stability and just make it a more attractive career for someone. Um, it's also really tough emotionally, right? And so you might have a client that you've been caring for for two years, right? And that's been your steady job for two years. And let's say that client passes away. Not only do you have to deal with the loss of the client who was probably a friend, but now you have no work, <laughs> And so there's there's, just, there's a sense of sort of instability that we are as a company are trying to to solve and create more stability in. And so for years it, it was very much well not not completely but largely it was a patchwork of smaller providers and independent people and you know, all those different pieces. How did how do you look at it uh, in the different parts of your business where it's the provider side as well as more of the platform side? Yeah, you're totally right. Um, home care has been and is still very very fragmented. So. Lots of small independent agencies or small independent franchises just trying to do their thing, right? You help you help your local community. Really tough to scale because it's not like you have a technology platform or you know things feeding you insights on how to grow. And you kind of just you're kind of just doing it on your own um, just because you're you know you love you love the work, you love the people. What Honor is really trying to do is create a higher, more consistent standard, right? So you know, with a very fragmented industry, you know, agency A, I don't know how that compares to agency F across town. But creating a, a more standardized system, creating a better platform for the care professionals, we call them the caregivers, the care professionals on, you know, they can have stability in their work. They can get more work if something happens. There's a history of, of performance and tenure. It just creates sort of like stronger bones to be able to build upon. And our hope is that we can create a more standard nationalized platform that any agency can kind of be a part of um, as part of our, our sort of our network and our platform to be able to serve more people, make care more affordable, more accessible, and to create a more attractive career for care pros so that we can, you know, ultimately be able to, to care for anybody that needs care. I would imagine the compensation model of something like this is still often limited by a fee-for-service sort of approach, right? And so when you think about the creating a platform like business, does it unlock more access to revenue opportunities for you guys, as well as extending the value that you can provide to people beyond the local folks just trying to do their thing? Yeah, definitely with scale comes a lot of benefits, right? So not just that standardized sort of high quality of care that you can kind of count on on a more large scale, but it creates like larger opportunities for things like partnerships. Um, it creates more opportunities. Right now, most of home care is private pay. Would love it if we could open up to different kinds of payment systems. Um, we've also tried to create systems where like, if we thought about how we could make it so that, you know, people could take advantage of density or scale, or oh, we live really close together. Like, are there particular ideas that we could do in innovative ways that we can provide cheaper, more affordable care for more people? There's also ways to think about with scale, you can maybe expand what it means to do home care, right? You're not limited by kind of what the bounds are today, but like, you know, 
what, when someone ages, it's not like, okay, stage one, they do this. And all of a sudden it's like, everybody goes to stage two. It's like stage three, four, five, six, seven, eight, um, different ways of kind of aging into that path. Um, we'd love to explore that space. Yeah. Unfortunately, the reality is a lot of people go from stage one to stage nine, you know, overnight, right? There's not, a, there's not that beautiful sequential path. So you were careful to call out the distinction of non-medical, but so much of what happens in that aging scenario is you go from a non-medical to a medical requirement. And some of that medical requirement can be fulfilled in the home. Do you see, is, is that a natural part of the progression of care for you? Or is that a natural handoff that's maybe part of your platform vision that says, our care professionals aren't that, but we know people who are, and so let's hand you off to the next stage in the continuum? I would say it's probably both. It is a partnership. So right now we do work with places like you know hospice and home health to kind of like weave in and out. So for example, someone might need um, more hardcore medical care at home. So injections or, you know, like wound care, whatever. They don't need to be there for eight hours to do that, that sort of that task. We could have someone who's non-medical do the majority of that care and then someone come in and do the parts that are that they need to do because they're qualified for. And then that's you kind of cheapen the entire shift of care because you're not relying on an RN to do all that work for eight hours. So there's like partnerships there. Um, I think the other thing that's really interesting is that the medical sort of the healthcare space is learning that not all sort of core healthcare requires like a super qualified, you know, say nurse or doctor. So for example, for hospitals that don't want seniors to kind of always go back because of um, conditions, they found that a lot of the reasons why people go back a lot is that they didn't get their medication or they didn't go to the doctor's appointment. It's like you don't need an RN or home health to do that. You could literally have a a non-medical home care professional do that. And it's cheaper and more affordable and sort of more reliable. So people are, I think, now just thinking about alternative ways to work with the health system. And we're like very excited about those opportunities. Well, and the quality of care is one thing, but the cost is is just ridiculous, right? Uh, just absolutely ridiculous. So, so you know, we've now done 28 of these. You're number 28. And, and every single one of them, regardless of the industry, and they've been just wildly ranging in terms of industries and problems that we're trying to solve. Um, it always comes down to the disruption occurs and is successful because they effectively manage change management and effectively manage the culture, right? In this particular case, you've got change management, both on the provider side and on the consumer side. And then you've got the culture change, you know, the consumer behavior side. Hey, I don't really want to wear your watch. What else are you watching me do on that watch? Even though it would be more effective to remind you to take your insulin sort of thing, as opposed to the providers saying, hey, listen, it is a fee-for-service model, and I'd rather have them in the office because I make, you know, $45 instead of $6 or whatever the case. How are you guys looking at that in terms of both the, the altruistic side of trying to provide better care to more people as well as how do you build a platform business that's around for a long time? I'd probably think about it two ways. First, from the pace of innovation perspective, we're not going to wait for the health systems to catch up, right? So we're not going to be like, okay, we're going to bank our success on you know, a health system like really quickly adapting to you know a new model or not fee for service or things like that. Like we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and like innovate as as we can, while making sure those relationships are warm, keeping abreast of this of situations, and making ourselves available for say like pilots or experiments or interesting partnerships that like can create forward movement. I think the second aspect is probably that I think as any entrepreneur, like we're a little bit stubborn <laughs> and we have strong opinions. <laughs> and so we have a very open mind and just sort of growth mindset attitude about how we try to push an industry forward. Um, I think the amazing thing about home care and I think the senior care space is that people in the space, even though they've been doing things like a certain way for a really long time, 
they all love the space. They all love helping people. They know it's hard. They know it's challenging, but like they're all their hearts are in the right places. And that's like such a big advantage for us. Like I'm not trying to win their hearts because their hearts are one. Like we all have the same mission and we want to help a lot of people. And so I think that creates a lot of opportunity and more wiggle room for us to come and be like, hey, we want to learn. We want to work with you. Um, we don't want to work against you. Like how do we create positive movement on both our sides if we work together, which is like a tact we've always taken um, in terms of our partnership model and the platform is that like, I don't want to tell you that your way is wrong. I want to learn what is great about your way and then adapt it with my way. And then can we create a new way together? That kind of is a win-win for everybody. I mean, I feel like we should sort of end there. I mean, that was, <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot more questions. <laughs> so it's it's a fascinating approach, right? Because when you think of, this is one of those areas where the technology leverage is just spectacular and is just starting now, right? And, you, you know, you're, you're an engineer by trade and I, you, surely you're looking at the world of, we talked about wearables, but but the, certainly IoT and 5G, if it ever sort of becomes real, what that can mean to try and drive that care down into the house. AI and the, the predictive nature of, of all the data that could potentially be collected about that particular person or population or how are you, when you think about, you know, your roadmap in your head, what does this do over the course of the next several years? Yeah, so we're actually very, very thoughtful about that because there's this huge thing, again, with the with the senior space where they're like, oh my God, technology is super scary. Like one, you're taking control for, away from me and two, you're spying on me. And so we're trying to navigate this line where we're really careful about how we talk about technology. Like, so things like AI or automation, it's like, no, we're not trying to replace something. We're trying to augment it. And so the way we think about technology to honor is that like from day one, it's like, we're not, we're not trying, like, I'm not going to send a robot. I make this joke a lot. We're not going to send a robot to do care. Like maybe not for like 50 years, but not, not right now. The thing about technology is that if you can make a human better, that's awesome. And so for example, when we think about the tools we build or interesting new cutting edge tech we want to use, whether it be like, you know, devices or whatever, it's like, if I can put that in a human's hands and make a human experience better that's like the best. So if I can create a tool, an insight, a piece of data that I can give to a client manager talking to a care pro or a client, and they have a better conversation, they are more prepared, they predict a thing that the client wanted and they got ahead of it. Like the client is so much happier. The care pro is so much happier. Like that's a huge win. That's how we think about sort of using technology to, to augment the experience. I think AI and all those like sort of fancy, fancy tech terms, they're like, can, can I use it as a tool in my like very ever-growing tool chest? But at the end of the day, the thing I'm trying to produce is not an amazing app or a website. It's literally a human experience. So how do I translate that? And, and talk more about that because because uh, yeah, I'm fascinated by customer experience as part of what I have in my real job. And the the, the fact is, you've got a, a variety of different customers that you're trying to manage the experience for, right? And 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 in some cases, the push on one will be a pull on another. And so, how do you how do you look at the different pieces and then rationalize and, and solve for how you're going to prioritize one versus the other? Uh, a really beautiful and refreshing thing about the home care space is that oftentimes I'm not faced with that kind of like quandary of, oh my gosh, I'm extracting value from one user to give it to another. So I like to use the example of like YouTube, like I don't need to show you an ad to give you great content. Like that's, that's annoying. In home care, um, our theory, our founding thesis was like, if I make the care pro better, does that translate to better care all around? And the answer is actually really yes. And what's amazing is that it translates even further to if I make the care pro happier, you know, higher morale, better retention, more stability in the system, 
that actually creates more efficiencies in care delivery, right? Because it's like less time for me having to deal with an unhappy care pro or a care pro calling off or a care pro who's tardy all the time. If they're like a better sort of employee and care pro, that actually creates better efficiencies in the system, which creates better experiences for clients, but also is just better economically for the business. And so if I make the actors better, I actually have a better business and a better client experience because I'm spending less time, you know, kind of dealing with the crappy stuff. And so that's like a really amazing thing about home care, which we like love. And so a lot of our processes, a lot of our tech is to fine tune and push kind of like all those levers that create better client experiences, better care pro experiences, better family experiences, because that actually translates to like a lot about all the better things too. Yeah, so take care of your people and your people will take care of everybody else, right? And yeah, it's, just, totally. it's all, all, all the things we learned in business school like 50 years ago are all the exact <laughs> same things today. Um, so what are those things? You, you think of somebody who's who just wants to care and, and wants to come make a bed and, and help somebody with a, a life skill at that moment. What are the things that, that really change the game for them that make them want to keep going and, and give them more fuel to keep going for other people? Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is that it's just like any other employee in other industry. They want to feel respected. They want to be recognized for what they're doing well. And they actually want feedback. They want to know what they're doing well and not well. And like these sound so fundamental um, to like sort of like the majority of sort of quote employees of the world. But for like a lot of care pros, it's novel. Like they, they aren't being told that they're doing really well or, hey, for them to get a great shift like, do, do they have to give donuts to the scheduler <laughs> as opposed to just like showing up and doing your job really well and getting feedback on how you can get better? Um, and so a big thing that we're really trying to kind of like create a system around is really great, honest feedback to care pros. And when they're doing well, how do you improve? And also the ones that like, there are also, also not great care pros probably, you know, need to be fired or, or, you know, just because they give donuts doesn't mean you get the better job. It's like, you need to, you need to like apply the same consistent standard performance to make sure that folks are actually improving and learning and growing. And then that's how you define a career. And if you make a career out of it, you can get paid for or rewarded for good performance and good customer service and taking really great care of a, of a, of a client. Um, and you can move ahead. And that would be an amazing to create sort of this like substable career for a lot of these folks. And then you add on top of that scale, then you always have a job. You always have work. There's more, there's more demand. It's just it's like a really great system. You know, to that point, you made you made a comment earlier about that you wanted to make it a career and then you hit it on it again, which I think is great. But is that to suggest that this will be one of those industries that is insulated from the gig economy? Like you won't have people dropping in and saying, yeah, on a, on a Tuesday, I'll go, you know, drop somebody's Amazon off and make their bed for them. Yeah, I, I would love for that to be like in the near future, but I think we still have a ways to go, even though a lot of care professionals are, you know, employed in W-2s. Because the work is can be unstable, you, you got to make ends meet, right? You got to pay your rent, you got to feed your kids, and so it's like I got to find work. It's not like a overnight thing where you can just change that. And so we're working really hard as fast as we can to create more stability and make it a career. I think it has to be a career because we have too many people aging into this demographic. We don't have enough people to take care of folks who need care. You know, we can throw all the IoT devices we can and Apple watches, but <laughs> it's not going to substitute human touch. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's like such an important part of that aging process, just to feel loved, to have that social connection um, and to have, it. And, you know, more so with COVID. It's like, yeah, it turns out like interacting with other humans is actually really important. I think we all learned such hard lessons about that, the value of just the connection. And do you guys look at the generations from a cohort sort of perspective? Do you anticipate that, I guess, you know, they're between 70 and 85 right now, the ones that are between 
60 and 70, like those following, is it going to be materially different? Or is it just a natural translation that when you get to be that age, you're like, I don't want to lose control. I don't want people spying on me, those kind of things. Yeah, I think mental, like mental state wise, we're all going to want more control and we're all going to hate that loss of control. I think that's just part of that, that natural journey. I think the thing that will change, though, is the acceptance, the understanding and sort of um, an overall appreciation for what technology can do. Right. So like having an Apple, like I think the Apple Watch is an amazing example of of bridging that gap. Um, My father-in-law uses it. He loves it. It tells him that, you know, his blood pressure is a little bit high. Maybe he he should sit down. And like, he's like, I will sit down. I'm like, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's, we should do more of that. Right. But it wasn't like they made the Apple Watch for older adults. They just made the Apple Watch an amazing piece of technology that had high value. It was easy to use. And like, we should sort of lean into that as a way of creating that bridge. And I think as those, you know, 60 year olds and 50 year olds kind of age into that place, there will just be more access to things like that, um, which should I think make it easier. But the biggest thing that people still want and still need is that emotional connection, that social connection, and that 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 sense of I'm still in control. I'm not, you know, even though I may not be able to take a shower by myself, but I'm still my own person and I have control over certain things in my life. So as you think about it, what is the um what's the best advice you could give to a family about having these conversations with their aging loved ones? I think the first thing is just don't be afraid to have it. Um, you may fail the first time or the second time or the third time, um, but it doesn't mean you should give up. If I could bring that dialogue sooner in most families' lives, I think it would make it a lot easier because for the most part, the thing you hear over and over and over again is everything was fine. And then on Monday, mom fell. On Tuesday, I knew nothing about home care. And by Friday, I needed to be an expert. And it's such a hard experience. But if we had that conversation five years earlier, a year earlier, six months earlier, at least you're a little bit more prepared. And any sort of preparation you can have for that, it just saves you a lot of mental anguish and emotional turmoil, um, just because it's a tough period. Everybody's losing control. Roles are changing. You know, Honor would love to be that that source of like comfort and um, expert advice to kind of navigate through that. But it is a very personal experience. And so, um, yeah, I guess my advice would be just don't give up. <laughs> try, try hard. <laughs> to the old baseball player, if I had known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself, right? <laughs> kind of, yeah. So uh, you've been really generous with your time. The, the, the last big question is, you know, you wave a magic wand. What does this actually look like in 10 years when you think of the radical change in technology? Now that now that this next generation is a little bit more digitally aware, um, certainly, you know, the unsustainable cost structure of the healthcare system. So there's always going to be a different way. Like what is what is the ideal state for you in in a decade? I'm going to answer a little bit on an emotional perspective. I would love it in 10 years if let's say mom falls. Or, you know, um, there's a, you know, mom gets a medical condition or something happens where like they need care. I want people to not panic. I want them to feel like, okay, I know of a solution. I know of a way to help me through this. Like there are, there are set good, solid paths that I can follow um, that create a sense of like non-panic and, um, and hope and optimism, which I feel like would be a great sign that something's working. Um, or we've done some, we've like made a dent into the system. That would be fantastic. It sure would. Okay. So the last question is a little bit lighter hearted. And I asked the same one to everybody when we're done, when you, when you're done changing the world and you and your old dog decide to go take a walk, what kind of music do you like to listen to? I have to say I'm definitely like an electronic chill person. I really like to just zen out. So just like kind of just 
float away in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Sandy, you've been really generous. I really appreciate it. I wish you and the team all the best. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. There were about a dozen key takeaways that I could have for this show, but here are a few that I thought were really most important. First, there's a common misconception that seniors in tech don't mix, which is why investment and innovation in this area has been limited. However, the pandemic helped to shed light on just how vulnerable the population is and what could be possible in senior care with the right technology. Overall, Sandy says she's optimistic about the outlook for seniors in tech, given the changes we've seen in just the past few years. Second, it turns out that in some cases, if you build it, they actually will come. Great, usable technology like the Apple Watch will inevitably draw in users because people can integrate it into their lives seamlessly. Seniors don't need technology that's specifically geared toward their demographic. They need simple, effective tools just like everybody else. Third, we're all getting older. Our parents are getting older. Unfortunately, new technology is helping to empower us to age in place and enjoy a healthy, active lifestyle for longer and for less. Fourth, it's always been difficult in senior care to attract and retain the actual caregivers. But caregiving doesn't have to be another gig work job. Attitudes are changing and career paths and more traditional structure are being created. Honor through their platform is strengthening the foundation of the caregiving industry to create a more standardized system and offer much more stability for caregivers. Fifth, we cannot just wait around for the healthcare system to adapt in order to create positive forward momentum for senior care. I'm glad there are teams like Honor that are maintaining a growth mindset, keeping an open mind, and prioritizing collaboration to improve senior care. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.